Welcome to Hill Country Institute Live, Exploring Christ and Culture. I'm Larry Leninschmidt, Director of the Hill Country Institute, and we're excited to have an ongoing conversation about issues of concern and interest to the body of Christ. Hill Country Institute Live will bring guests together with you to talk about issues of interest in our lives today. We'll visit the life and wonders and works of giants of another day, such as C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, and we'll spend time with people and ministries doing creative work to fight human trafficking, feed the poor, create quality art, be good stewards of the environment, and much more, all with the heart and mind of Christ. If you're interested in learning about the programs of the Hill Country Institute and hearing and seeing presentations from our conferences on faith and science, faith and art, and other subjects, visit hillcountryinstitute.org. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. We promise to strive to show the heart and mind of Christ in all that we do, to treat our guests and our callers with respect, and even if we disagree, to be true to the historic faith and to add a lively bit of uh, interest to the way that we approach living out our faith. We invite you to call in today and visit with our special guest. The phone number is 512-637-9673. Help me welcome our guest today, Walter Bradley. It's a very uh, great pleasure for me and a, and a great honor to have Walter with us. Walter's been a friend and advisor to the Hill Country Institute for many years. He's a, a statesman in the area of faith and science. He's, he's well known to people with varying views on how Christians approach faith and science. He earned his B.S. in engineering science and his Ph.D. from the University of Texas. He taught at the Colorado School of Mines and then ended up at Texas A&M. I'm not sure how a, a T-SIP ended up at A&M, but somehow he was there for, for 24 years. It was difficult. <laughs> yeah. And then he ended up being a distinguished professor at Baylor for several years. During his tenure in the, in the college uh, world, uh, Walter and his group uh, qualified for over $4.5 million in, insur- in grants for uh, research. He's written over 140 uh, technical articles and book chapters. He, he was co-author of a book called The Mystery of Life's Origin, Reassessing Current Theories, which had a great impact on Steve Meyer. And many of you may know Steve. He's a future guest for our program uh, talking about intelligent design. But anyway, Walter, we're so glad that you're here today. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Larry. It's good to be here. So, Walter, you, you've got kids and grandkids scattered all, all around this part of the world. Uh, just so people have a better sense of who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family? Well, I have a wonderful wife, uh, Anne, of 48 years. Uh, we've had, we have two children, Sharon and her husband, David Perry, who live in Austin. And we have three grandchildren that live in Austin, although one of them is actually off to college. And then I have a son, Stephen. Uh, with his wife Christy and they have four children and they all live in Waco which is where we live at the moment so it's all it's all pretty close at hand Walter one one thing that I, th- I think what might be of interest to folks is how you have been involved in faith on campus and spoken on campuses around the world over the years dealing with some of the same topics that we're going to talk about today yeah I felt like uh, once I had gotten into my college uh, teaching career uh, I took more time, actually, than I'd taken uh, before I got my Ph.D. to really begin to study a lot of the seminal questions having to do with faith and science. It's, it's often widely believed that there's a sort of an intrinsic uh, uh, adversarial relationship between these two, uh, and it didn't seem to me like that that should be the case. And so as I began to read and study more carefully, uh, I was able to find that, in fact, properly understood religion and science are very uh, con- compatible uh, and speak the same language uh, in terms of the ultimate story, uh, 
Uh, I like to think of it as God having written his uh, uh, letters to us in his word, and he's written a different set of letters in his world. And those letters properly understood should give us a consistent, although some in some ways complementary, story of God and creation. So would, that, would you call that the two books then? Is that a, a good yeah, approach? Yeah, in fact, that's what Galileo called it many, many years ago. He said God's mm-hmm. revealed himself in, in two books, uh, the Bible uh, and his creative world. Well, and even, and even Scripture points to his, to his handiwork. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So from the macro to the micro, God is acknowledged and recognized in Scripture. Absolutely. In fact, one of the best confirmations of that is uh, in Romans 1, uh, verses 18 through 20, where it says, Evidence for the existence of God is clearly seen in the things that have been made. That creation itself is an apologetic argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, for God's existence. Well, there's, a, there's, there's obviously a lot of talk today about faith and science, and I think as a, as, as a Christian trying to live in this world, we, we come into discussions about faith and science. They're, they're, they're almost unavoidable. If you, if you have a friend who's a scientist or, or quasi-scientist or just reading the latest story about the skull that's discovered or whatever, you can't escape this interaction, and you get questions about it, don't you? It has become much, much more a uh, sort of public cultural conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1992, in December, Time Magazine had a cover story called uh, uh, Has Science Discovered God? Uh, Newsweek ran a similar uh, uh, cover story in about 1998, and then there have been other ones since then. But it's pretty clear when Time Magazine's running a cover story on talking about what is science telling us about the existence of God? Now, it wasn't choosing sides it was simply giving the here's what some people say mm-hmm. and here's what other people say so it wasn't being an advocate of uh, really science uh, uh, proving the existence of God but it was reporting I think fairly accurately the huge amount of things that have been discovered in the second half of the 20th century that have caused many scientists even those who were previously skeptical to reconsider that position mm-hmm. well there's there's a historic relationship that sometimes gets gets distorted I think in terms of how science began in the West, the, the role of Christians in the, the formulation of science. Would you talk a little bit about that? Because it's a, there's, a, there's a backstory there. Okay, uh, sure, I'd be glad to do that. I think that it's, it's not accidental that science began uh, in Western Europe uh, as opposed to in the Eastern part of the world. Uh, where the worldviews and the religious beliefs were quite different. Uh, And I think it's been widely uh, studied that the uh, theistic views of the culture in general and of the early scientists played a significant role in their own uh, pursuit of science. Uh, If you look at people like uh, Kepler, Galileo, uh, Copernicus, uh, and so forth, uh, Newton, Uh, All of these were men who were not only what I would call cultural Christians. They were Christian because they lived in Western Europe. No, they were people who had a serious personal faith and commitment who wrote eloquently uh, about that. And I think it's their belief that there was a creator God uh, who fashioned a universe by his own design. And that being the case, we should be able to go out and and explore uh, and to some degree understand a lot of the exciting and, in some cases, amazing details of this creative uh, uh, universe that God has made. So I think 
their motivation was both founded on the idea there must be order that could be understood, the so-called laws of nature or, or God's orderly ways of uh, caring for his creation or running his creation, uh, and that in the uh, uh, study of the universe, we would expect to see God's handiwork uh, in all of its beauty and splendor. So the, the <clears throat> idea that, that's often stated by what I might call militant atheists today, that, that science needs to escape from Christian thought, is, is in a sense to, to ignore its heritage and parentage. Uh, very, very well put, Larry. And I would say uh, only in the last 20 years uh, has this become a more uh, sort of uh, public debate uh, between some of the militant atheists, not all atheists are militant, but but I think it's also become a cottage industry for some of these people to make a lot of money uh, <laughs> writing books that even Christians buy because they're trying to see, what are these guys saying? I've sure. bought a few of them myself. Uh, 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 things like uh, Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion, uh, uh, Stringer's book, uh, The Failed Hypothesis, How Science Shows That God Does Not Exist, uh, Breaking the Spell, Religion as a Natural Phenomenon by Daniel Dennett. Uh, and then Richard Dawkins, again, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. I mean, <laughs> when people are writing books like this, and in some cases they become bestsellers, then it's very clear that this is a question that is uh, uh, very important in contemporary culture. Well, I wonder, since if God doesn't exist in their mind, why is there such anger? I mean, and, and, and such virulent writing. Yeah, it's, it's a really, it's ironic that people who uh, believe there isn't a God are so uh, upset to the point that they want to go to great lengths to try to uh, be sure that the God who doesn't exist uh, doesn't exist in anybody's mind, okay? <laughs> it's not enough for them to have a personal disbelief in this God. But they're sort of uh, passionately trying to oppose uh, any semblance of this God who doesn't exist, which I find in some ways quite ironic and, and amusing. Well, one, one thing that Alistair McGrath mentioned in a, in a talk I heard recently, that a lot of the frustration for a militant atheist is that they were expecting by this time for the, the God delusion, if you will, to have fallen apart. Yeah. And instead, it, it hasn't. It's, it's, it's gained momentum. So maybe it's just a frustration in some way. I suppose in the uh, so-called Enlightenment uh, in mm -hmm. the 17 and 1800s, there was an awful lot of speculation that is, as we learn more and more, and particularly as we learn more and more through science, we'll, show, we'll prove how everything works quite on its own, and uh, it will render belief in God not impossible, but just superfluous. And uh, so I, <clears throat> I think, uh, first of all, science hasn't done that. The more we've drilled down, the more we see many, many things that mm -hmm. point to an amazing and, and complex uh, and carefully designed universe. Uh, I think that uh, also culturally, at least in the United States, uh, Christianity has been uh, surprisingly robust and resilient. Uh, and I say surprisingly not to me, mm -hmm. but some of these people who expected the 20th century would be become the century of secularization and we would move beyond these sort of arcane uh, views about religion and, and be yeah. liberated uh, from right. from that. And so for some of these people, it is irritating sure. that this isn't, uh, uh, it's dying a slow death if it's dying at all. Yeah. Well, one, <clears throat> one, one, one of the models uh, that we talked about is, is independence or, or separation. And uh, Gould, for instance, his idea of the separate magisteria, 
that seems to fit into their thinking in a uh, very core way, doesn't it? Yeah, I would say that uh, after the militant atheist, uh, they wouldn't uh, accept Gould's okay. ideas. But let's say for people who are scientists, but maybe they're secular, but they're not adamant about the non-existence of God, uh, they would simply say that let's think of science and religion uh, as being non-overlapping magisterias. Uh, they call them nomas. Uh, and the idea is that... Uh, in the empirical realm, uh, what the universe is made of, for example, is fact. Why does it work in the way that it does? That's theory. This is all science. Uh, in the magisterium of religion, it extends over questions of ultimate meaning and moral value. Uh, and so, in some sense, science and religion uh, don't glower at each other. They just interdigitate in patterns of, okay. of complexity. So it would, it would be uh, like saying... Science and religion are talking in different domains, mm -hmm. and so they can't contradict each other because they're answering different set, a different set of questions. Okay. So the, the, the questions that, that – that sounds a lot like Francis Schaeffer, doesn't it? Upper story, lower story? Yeah, it sounds a lot like Francis Schaeffer. In fact, uh, uh, the, even some Christians want to put Christianity in the upper story, mm -hmm. and what he meant by upper story was uh, it was in this area of uh, – meaning and moral values and so forth, which at the end of the day are maybe very subjective mm -hmm. and therefore very relative. And so everybody can have anything they want in their upper story because there's not objective truth there. Okay. And then he would say math and science and, and a lot of uh, history, these other things, that's all lower story stuff. And uh, so if you put faith in, uh, up into the upper story, it keeps it safe, mm -hmm. but it also makes it very subjective and and to some degree, less relevant, okay? So... T takes it away from our everyday experience in a way. It, well, it does. It makes it a little too mystical and then in, in some ways, uh, uh, I think, removes a lot of what I think are the important uh, bases for believing it in a way that is a better life kind of a belief as opposed to a subjective preference of, of this versus that. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you think of... Uh, and, we're, and when we're thinking about science today, I, I hope if you're not a scientist, you, you don't just hear the word science and, and, and click off the radio because we're not trying to deal with it at a level of doing quantum physics or, or explaining DNA. Uh, I think we're trying to think about it in a way that I would say is for every man, uh, in, in a way that we would think about science in interacting both with our fellow believers and with people who are outside of the faith and, and use science to... Uh, contradict or uh, limit what we can know and do as Christians. So there, there are questions, upper story type questions that, that, you know, why, why do I love my wife? Why, why mm -hmm. do I feel the way I feel? Why am I wired the way that I'm wired that are very difficult to explain, I think, in, in, in sense of pure empirical science. It seems that the, in the early 20th century, empiricism, logical positivism had a, had a go and didn't last very long. How did how did that how does that shake out? You think? Yeah, let me share a, a real simple illustration. If uh, one of my young grandchildren comes into the kitchen on a uh, morning and sees water boiling on the stove, she might say, "Papa, why is the water boiling on the stove?" And I would say, "Well, it's like this: uh, the electrons are moving around in the heating element, and as they hit the atoms, they cause them to vibrate more. And as the atoms vibrate more, they." Uh, 
cause the ones in the bottom of the pan to vibrate more and the ones in the bottom of the pan as they vibrate more cause the water to at the bottom to vibrate more and those vibrations percolate on through and then water molecules are jumping off at the top and that's why the water's boiling and uh, she might look at me and say papa that doesn't make sense mimi why is the water boiling and my wife would say well it's because we're making coffee <laughs> now those are both absolutely valid explanations but they are dealing uh, with different kinds of questions, right? Yes. They're why questions, but one is a why of what is the purpose, where the other is a why in terms of the mechanics, so to speak. Okay. And that, that, um, the mechanics then would get just delve into more detail, and, and the, the why might um, still might, might uh, cause us to think about broader issues, though. Sure. Not necessarily with that example, but yeah. why are we the way we are? Yeah. Why is the human person made this way? Why do we have the complexities that we have? Absolutely. And I think that, that although they deal in somewhat different domains, the question is, do those domains overlap in some ways? Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, uh, some of the people who would be uh, taking this non-overlapping ministerial uh, uh, view, uh, which uh, Gould wrote a book by essentially that name, uh, they basically are arguing that they never deal, they never overlap at all. And while I would totally agree yeah. that they deal with different, in some different kinds of questions, there are things in the Bible that are, uh, make claims that are scientific type claims as well, uh, that God created the universe. Okay, well, we would expect in a universe that began instead of a universe that eternally existed. Uh, in Hinduism, the universe eternally exists. In uh, Judeo-Christian belief, the universe began. So those would be examples of, of claims about God uh, that uh, would, I think, have a scientific implication. And so I think the, the uh, properly understood, we don't have to put all of our uh, truth claims about Christianity in the upper story uh, or in the area of, of, let's say, meaning and purpose. A lot of those can can be uh, seen through the implications with regard to the physical world and things that we might then confirm uh, through our studies of science. Which, in fact, give us a, a good basis for our belief in, uh, as Christians. Sure. I love what C.S. Lewis said. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. We're going to need to take a short break. Uh, again, if you're... Uh, Interested, I'd, I'd invite you to visit the Hill Country Institute website. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. We have recordings and videos from our past conferences uh, on topics including spiritual formation of C.S. Lewis, faith and science, faith and art. We have speakers like Eugene Peterson, Alistair McGrath, Andy Crouch, Walter Kaiser, many others. If you're looking for gifts, the CDs and DVDs make wonderful gifts. That's at hillcountryinstitute.org.